0: You came to exalt your everlasting father. Can you make some noise today? Y'all yeah, could do a little bit better than that if you came to worship the ever-living, everlasting, ever-loving God. Another question. Are you are you ready to to hear the word of God today? Amen. I'm glad. I'm glad. Um, Pastor B, he had to travel here to travel out of state, but we have the pleasure and the honor to receive the word from uh, a, a pastor from Epiphany Philly, uh, a man of God, a, a tremendous teacher. A, a, he's a he's he's a pastor like he be preaching, preaching. He's a preacher, preacher. He be preaching, preaching his pants off, man. Um, we have uh, Pastor Curtis Dunlap, A.K.A. Pastor Kurt. Pastor Kurt, do you mind coming up? <laughs> Pleasure. We, um excited to hear and te- and learn uh from what, what God is gonna um do through you. Um so if we could just raise our hands towards uh Pastor Kurt while we pray for him. Father God, we just we thank you today. We thank you for Pastor Kurt uh, coming here, O oh Lord. We thank you for the word that you've are that you given him uh, to preach to us, O oh Lord. And we just pray that we receive it well, O oh Lord. We pray that you open up our hearts, O oh Lord, that the spirit moves in this place. We thank you for your presence here already, God. We thank you that you are moving already, already breaking chains, already uh, breaking strongholds, O oh Lord. God, we just pray, O oh Lord, that... Um, That the barriers and and the and the things that are stopping us from hearing what you have for us to receive, we ask you to remove all of it today, Lord. We ask you to strengthen this man, oh Lord, and just give him all the the courage and the the boldness to present your word with all honor and humility. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Give it up to Pastor Kirk, guys.
1: Amen. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure to be here um, with you guys. I always count it a joy when I get the opportunity to come, uh, to come see family. Amen. Uh, so, so thankful. Um, just want to honor Pastor B uh, for uh, allowing me the privilege to come and preach. Uh, when you're, listen, when you're out of town, you know, it's not a little thing. It's not a small thing to let somebody else come preach in your pulpit. Um and so I, I count it definitely a, a blessing and an honor uh, to be trusted with this task. Uh, to the first lady of this house, my, my dear sister, Ty. I'll get her for Ty. Man, after hearing the welcome, I'm, I'm waiting for her first sermon. I'm waiting for her for sermon to drop. <laughs> to my beautiful bride. Looking good, girl. Glad to have you. Glad to have you with me. Um, yeah, why don't why don't we get ready to jump in? Why don't you stand up with me? Uh meet me at Romans chapter three verse nine as we continue to trek through the book of Romans. Romans chapter three verse nine. When you get there, say amen. amen. If you need some time, say hold on. All right, all right. Romans right as right after Acts. Amen. All right. Let's 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 get ready to jump in. Romans chapter three, verse nine. Just uh, listen in um, as I read this morning, if you would. This is the word of the Lord. What then? Are we any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God, all have turned away and all alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and righteousness and wretchedness are in their paths and the path of peace. They have not known. For there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. Father, we are so grateful that we have your word. We are grateful that we get the opportunity to open your word and to learn about who you are and about who you say we are and that you make it clear that the only way to salvation is through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we don't hold this message tightly as if it's just for us, but this is a message that goes to the entire world so that every man and every woman might know the great grace that you have given in your son. So, Father, we pray that we would be a people who not only live out the truthfulness of what God has done in us and through us when he saved us, but also that we would want to see everyone else who does not know you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So, God, we pray that you would remind us this day where you have brought us from by your word. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If I can title this text for us this afternoon, it would simply be this. Remember where you come from. Remember where you come from. Now, in in African-American culture, um, there are particular words or phrases that can have multiple meanings depending upon the context that you use them in. Now, I'm sure this is probably true of any other culture, but I know for sure, just being an African-American male, um, what some of the particular ones are in the African American context. One of those phrases um, uh, that may have a different meaning depending on when and how you say it is, is you good. Because I could say you good and that could mean are you okay? I could say you good and that means you are okay. <laughs> I could say you good and that means mind your business. Or I could say, you good? And that means we about to fight. <laughs> the same thing can be said when you use the phrase, remember where you come from. When, I, when somebody says, remember where you come from, they could be saying it as a point of pride. Now, y'all, y'all New Yorkers are good for this. Because no matter where you go in the world or what's happened in your life, you're always going to rep your borough. Right, so if you're from Brooklyn, man, I'm from Brooklyn. Like, like, you literally could have been born for, like, you, your parents might not even be from Brooklyn, but you could have been born at the hospital in Brooklyn and then left and never spent a day of your life in Brooklyn, but you're from Brooklyn. Or if you're from Queens, I'm from Queens. Or, or the Bronx, I'm from the Bronx. Or it couldn't be a point of pride. You might be saying, remember where you come from so that somebody stays humble. Because where they were in the past is not representative of where they are currently. And they need a helpful reminder to remember how far they've come and that circumstances could be drastically different. And it's almost a use of these words to kind of check them so that they don't get too arrogant. And here Paul is trying to communicate to the Jews, you need to remember where you come from. The Jewish people have become somewhat arrogant because they think that they are favored by God. And as we've walked through the book of Romans in chapter 1, Paul has already made the case that the entire Gentile world is guilty before God because they have failed to respond to God revealing himself through his creation, through all that he's created. That's why he says it's evident through the power of God. The, The beauty of God is evident through everything that's been created, and man is without an excuse because they should be able to see everything that's been, able to, that's been created and say, man, that points back to a God. Then in chapter two, he says, well, the Jews, you aren't without excuse because you actually have been given the very words of God. You've have a personal relationship with God. And, and, and so you haven't responded by what God has even given you. You've had the special revelation of God where he's revealed himself in a very unique way that he didn't reveal himself to the rest of the world. And not only that, But the way that you live is so hypocritical that the rest of the world looks at you, and they don't want to know God because of you. Then he gets to chapter 3, and the Jews are like, well, man, there's got to be something good about being Jewish. I mean, there's got to be something good about God making us his people and giving us the law and the festivals and and, and, and all of these different traditions. And Paul says, yeah, you know, there there is some benefit to being Jewish because you were giving the word of God. Like you, out of everybody else in the world, we're giving the actual word of God. So there is some benefit. And so now Paul in verse 9 is responding because the Jews are somewhat like, well, then that makes us better than the Gentiles. If indeed God chose us out of, out of all of the people that he could have chose, he chose us and he gave us his law, gave us his word and called us his people and said that I will be your God, then we are better than everybody else. So Paul here is responding by saying, nah, like privilege does not mean better. He said, you you, you get the benefit of intimacy with me. You you get the benefit of of knowing my word and and I've introduced myself to you in ways that I have not introduced you to other people. But I don't love you more than I love them. So he says in verse 9, are we better off? And he responds to his question by saying, absolutely not. Not at all. And he says, we've already been making the case that both Jews and Gentiles are under sin. I like what the the NLT and the NIV, how they translate it. They say that, that we are under the power of sin. Because what Paul is communicating here is not just that people happen to sin. He's not saying that Every once in a while, you just commit a little sinny, sin, sin. <laughs> he, he, he's not just saying that it's, it's not a big deal that when you get to work and tell your boss you were late because there was traffic, that you're lying because you actually kept hitting the snooze button. Or that you don't forgive people often because you like to be bitter. Or you justify lashing out at people because you enjoy how anger feels. He says it's not just that people just sin. He says, no, the truthfulness is whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile, every single person in this world outside of knowing Christ is under the power of sin, the authority of sin, the dominion of sin. It means, this is war language, it means that you are a helpless prisoner. You, you are a POW, a prisoner of war, and there's nothing you can do about it. See, see we like, we like those movies like, like Iron Man 1. I'm not going to spoil End Games if you haven't seen it. But, but, but in Iron Man 1, he gets captured. You know, they throw him in the cave. And, and we like those types of movies when somebody gets captured and they start figuring out how they're going to escape, right? How they're going to conquer the enemy. They, they either run out with guns blazing and one man kills 30 people. Like, how realistic is that? Or they find somewhere to escape under the darkness of night. And we like those types of movies, but this is not that. Paul here is making this argument that, There is no escape from the power of sin, from the authority of sin. It's that you are a slave to sin. You must obey what sin tells you to do. See, the world would say that freedom is the ability to do whatever you want. But the Bible says the freedom, freedom is only the ability to say no to sin. If you can't say no to sin, you ain't free. That's why why Paul in Galatians chapter 5 says, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Then what does he say later down in verse 16 and 17? He says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. Meaning that for the Christian, the only power that you have to say no to sin comes by the Spirit. And even having the Spirit is not enough. You must submit yourself to the Spirit. So Paul here is making the case to both Jews and Gentiles, and he's saying, listen, the fact that we are all under sin, meaning that we can't obey the spirit, we can't follow God, we can't please God, we can't satisfy God, you can't even do good if you wanted to because you are under sin, lets us know that everybody has been completely and utterly and totally separated from God. And he says, what does he say? He says, we have already charged this. He said, this is the case I've been making. This shouldn't be new to you, which is why we can't rush past how he starts verse 10. He starts verse 10 with three words. It is written. Now, 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 why is that important that Paul would let them know that he's about to quote for them scriptures that they already have? See, Paul says it is written because he's letting them in on the fact that he's going to build the entirety of the premise of his argument on the scriptures that they already have. Mind you, Paul already in in verse 3 says that the benefit that you had of being a Jew was what? That you were given the the word of God. And so he says the word of God that made you privileged among God's people is the very thing that you should be holding on to as reason for why you should know the argument that I'm about to make. Because the argument that I'm making is not a new one. You should already know this argument because it's in your scriptures that you hold to so tightly. And so there there seemed to be throughout scripture, especially throughout the New Testament, this idea that the Jewish people, even though they had God's word, were unfamiliar with what God's word said. Jesus, when he meets with Nicodemus in John chapter three, says what? He says, Nicodemus, are you not a teacher of the law and you don't know these things? In Luke chapter 24, as he's walking on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, he gets frustrated with the disciples because he says, he says, man, you should already know that the law prophets and writings speak of, the, of the, the, the fact that the Messiah has to come and be crucified and die before he's going to be resurrected. How come you don't know this? Paul here is reminding them that as much as they hold to the scriptures as this barometer for why they are better than everybody else in the world they don't even know what they are talking about they keep throwing scriptures around to all these unsafe people and they don't even know what they are talking about i'm sure we don't got nobody like that here they just throw scriptures at everybody out of context they throw all the scriptures at people that don't have anything to do with convicting their own sin they throw scripture at people because it makes them feel better about themselves because they feel like it makes them more acceptable to God. Paul here is saying, man, you've had the scriptures. You've been able to study the scriptures, and you still don't know what it says. It says, it is written. Brings me to my first point, simply this. There is nothing you can do to be acceptable to God except receive what he offers through his son. There is nothing you can do to be made righteous before God, to make yourself acceptable before God, to make him want you more, to please him, except receive what he offers through his son. He goes on in verse 10, as it is written, and he says, there is no one who is righteous. He uses this this phrase, there is no one, over and over again in the next six verses to let us know that he's, he's talking universal language. There is no one applies to everyone in the world. Do you want to know what that word no one means in the Greek? It means no one. <laughs> there, there, there is no one in all of humanity that does what Paul is about to describe. He said if God was to come down and look for one person that could do the opposite of this, he would find no one. He says there is no one who is righteous, who, who can stand before God in the presence of God and be accepted because he's been perfectly or she's been perfectly obedient before God. There's no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands God. Forget the fact that you can't stand before God being righteous. You don't even understand the things of God. And then he takes it a step further. Not only do you not understand, but there is no one who even seeks after God. He said, he said the, the plight of the human condition is so bad that there's not anybody who, apart from Christ intervening on their behalf, even wants God. You know why? Because you are your own God. He says, apart from Christ, look, what is Jesus saying? In John four four twelve. He says, nobody comes to the Father unless I, unless I draw them. They don't come. They don't come unless they come through me. And here Paul is, is working off of what Jesus says. He says, "Man, nobody wants God. Nobody really wants God. Like if, like, like no, nobody wants to nobody wants to follow God's ways or God's laws. Nobody wants to admit that God exists, because the minute that you admit that God exists, it means that you admit that you have to follow him. That's why it's so easy for us to create our own gods, because when we create our own gods, we can always manufacture what their rules and, and requirements are to fit us so that we don't have to change. If, if you don't serve a God that you never disagree with, you might be in trouble. I, I know I'm not the only one. You ever been reading your Bible and you read something and it's like, man, God, why I just read that? Because I know it now. It's like now I now I know I got to obey. Like, I can't, just, I can't just unsee that now. And I'd be, I'd be wrestling with God. Like, really, God? Like, especially right now when I knew I didn't want to do this, and then I read it. it. says, nobody even seeks after God. It says, all have turned away and have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good. Not even one. That's why Jesus responds to the disciple when he, asks, when he calls him good teacher. And he says, he says, Who is the, why do you call me good teacher? Who is good but God? Because Jesus understood the plight of the human condition. There is nobody that does anything that's good, that can be pleasing to God. And listen, when we say good, we talk about subjective stuff. Like, yes, you can go out in the streets and help people. You can do a lot of philanthropy. You can give your money away and your time away and your talents away. You can jump in front of a car for somebody to save their lives. But guess what? That good is so deficient in the sight of God, that good is so not good enough that that good looks like filthy rags before a holy, perfect God. So the best good that you can do is dirt before God. There is no one who does good. Then Paul begins the transition. He says, man, if you want to realize just how fallen mankind is, all you really got to do is look at what they say. Just look at at how mankind talks to each other. Look what he says. He he says in verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Their lips are like vipers venom. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. He said there is absolutely nothing good that comes out of the mouths of humanity. All you got to do is look throughout history and see how many families and how many communities and how many people have been slaughtered and destroyed and upended by the power of the mouth, by the power of words. That's why James in James chapter 4 or James chapter 3 talks about how the the tongue is one of the smallest uh, parts of the body and yet causes the most destruction. It it ravages forests like a fire. It is so strong that it can turn a ship like a rudder. It says the tongue being so small can impact and affect life more than anything. He says, if you want to look at how fallen humanity is, just go on Twitter. Just check Instagram. And listen, he's talking to the covenant people of God here. Because remember, the scriptures that he's quoting from right here are all from where? The Old Testament. He's quoting from their scriptures. Because these scriptures were talking about the covenant people of God. Let, Let me give you a little side note right here. Throughout the New Testament, as Jesus quotes Scripture, as Paul quotes Scripture, as Peter, as all the apostles quote Scripture, where are they quoting from? The Old Testament. So why do we neglect reading the Old Testament so much? It's impossible to understand the context of the New Testament if you don't understand how they were using it in the Old Testament and how it now relates in the New Testament. And so Paul here is saying, just so you know that the, 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 the universal fallenness of mankind uh, is, like, is also bringing in the Jews that you are a part of this is I'm going to use your own scriptures that you hold to to let you know. And he says, he says listen, when we talk about just the, the deceitfulness of the mouth and, and, and the cursing and the bitterness and the, your throat being an open grave, he said, all you got to do is look, he's not even talking about the world here. He's talking about God's people. Some of y'all, Some of y'all don't talk the same. When y'all not around church folk. Y'all know I ain't lying. Some of y'all got a different code of language when you're around your real friends. Or when you justify to be angry on Facebook and go on your little rant. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say ratchet, but amen. So some 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 of y'all tear people down so easily. says the tongue has the power to bring life or to bring death. Paul saying all you got to do is look at all you got to do is look at how they talk. Then he goes from just talking and he says in verse 15 their feet this is now now he's moving to how they how they actually move, how they live, how they operate towards one another. Their feet are swift to shed blood, to ruin and wretchedness are in their past. It says everywhere that humanity goes and everything they touch get destroyed. He said, we can all we got to do, is just look at their lives. Everything that they touch gets destroyed. Families, destroyed. Children's lives, destroyed. Education systems, destroyed. Everything that they touch, destroyed. Destruction is in their past. It says the path of peace they have not known. You know why they don't have the path of peace and they don't know the path of peace? Because Ephesians chapter 2, verse uh, verse 13 to 14, Paul says Paul says, that you were once far off, but now have been brought near by Christ. And then he follows it up and he says, he is our peace. He says, you can't know the path of peace if you have not known the one who brings peace. And you can't know the one who brings peace if you don't seek God. He says, they have not known the path of peace. Of peace, and then he goes back to this universal language, where he says there is no fear of God before their eyes. There is a basic human disregard for 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 God. I love what Tony Evans says. I like I like how he defines this idea of fear of God. He says the fear of God is to take God seriously. Is you that know, you? You you can you you know when somebody fears God because they take what His Word says seriously. And you can tell that somebody takes what, what God's word says seriously because those are the type of people that actually obey God's word to their li- to their, or, or apply God's word to their lives. And you can see that their lives, because their lives are marked by obedience. See, see if, you, if you call yourself a Christian and your life is not marked by obedience to God's word, then you don't take God seriously. And First John says that you might want to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 15, verse 3. But John goes a step further and says, the lack of obedience is a lack of fruit. And the lack of fruit shows that you may not belong to him. Because the ID card of a Christian, that the way that Christians are identified, is fruit. No fruit, you don't get in. He says, That's how I, I don't know that you're a Christian because you said you got saved and trusted Christ at an early age. I don't know that you're a Christian because you got baptized. I don't know you're a Christian because you sing on the worship team. I don't know you're a Christian because you post pictures of your Bible on Instagram in the morning to show people that you're reading and spending time in God's word. I know you're a Christian when your life is marked by obedience. He says in verse 19, he says now, Now we know that whatever the law says, whatever the scripture says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law, that whatever the law says, that those who had the law are under uh, and subject to the law. He says, now we know that that's the case, so that, purpose clause, so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment. I I love this because Paul here is using the imagery of a courtroom. And he's using the imagery of a courtroom and, and in this courtroom, there is a defendant whose mouth has been shut after the prosecution has laid out all the evidence against the defendant. And there's so much overwhelming evidence against the defendant that now the defendant can't even... He has to look at all the evidence, and he's like, well, well, man, I don't got nothing to say. And so he's left to the mercy of the judge. Let me me see if I can make it plain. Y'all remember that movie, The Eight Mile? Eight Mile? You know, it's got Eminem in it as as B-Rabbit, and he's like this... This struggling battle rapper who's trying to gain his confidence, and he's getting bullied by uh, another group of men uh, from his city. And you know, you do what you normally do to get rid of bullies—you battle them in a rap battle. And so, they get to the end, and you know, he's beating all the guys from the group. And now he gets to the head honcho, Papa Doc. Y'all know Papa Doc, and, and he gets to the to, to the to the to the head rap, or he gets to the head guy, and they flip the coin. Papa Doc wins, so he lets. He, let, he tells B-Rabbit to go first because in a battle rap, you, you want to go last so you can respond to what somebody says, right? And, and this was a very unique rap battle because, uh, you know, B-Rabbit starts to go off and it kind of catches everybody off guard, right? Y'all remember what he says. He says, I know something about you. You went to Cranbrook. That's a private school. <laughs> he said, what's the matter, dog? You embarrassed? This guy's a gangster? His real name is Clarence. And Clarence lives at home with both parents. And Clarence's parents he had a real good marriage. And listen, pop, 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 what Papa Dot do? Papa Doc got the mic back. Papa Doc got the mic back. Like, oh, uh, uh. It, not, nothing, nothing to say. Because all of his ammunition, all of his ammunition went out the window. And he got exposed for being something that he wasn't. Papa Doc was fronting like he was a thug and Papa Doc went to private school and got a nuclear family at home. And here Paul is letting the Jews know, I'm about to expose you because you're acting like you're better than you actually are. It said, you're acting like you're better than the Gentiles. You're acting like you got it all together. You're acting like you're those religious people that follow God at every turn. And I'm trying to let you know that the very thing that you're holding on to that you think makes you better is the very thing that's disarming your argument. Yeah. And Paul knows full well that the most difficult case he has to prove to the Jews is that they are sinners accountable before God. Because they are holding all of their cards on thinking that they are excused because they have the law, because they have a special relationship with God. And Paul is just trying to communicate to them, man, listen, the law is the very thing that leaves you defenseless before God. That's why why he goes on and says, he says in verse 20, for no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. No one will be justified, will be made right may be put in right standing in his sight by the works of the law. Paul here is echoing uh, the psalmist in Psalm 142, 143 forty three two, where he says, there, there is no one living who is righteous before you. It brings to mind what David writes in Psalm 24. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? And he doesn't have to answer it because he knows that everybody knows that will be reading it, knows that the answer is Nobody. Who can stand in his holy place? The answer is nobody. So Paul here is trying to get them to understand that the law that you think makes you better only exposes you. That's why he writes, he says, he says, the only thing that the law does is it brings about a knowledge of sin. And So Paul begins to outline for us, he says, he says um, that he's told them what the law can't do. The law can't bring you into a relationship with God. Your, your, your half-measured obedience can't bring you into a relationship with God. I love what God even says to the people in Deuteronomy. He says, listen, you can keep your laws, you can keep your festivals, you can keep your offerings and your sacrifices, because if you're going to do all that, I don't want all that without with, with, from a people whose heart is far from me. He said, if your heart is far from me, you can keep all that. That's why Jesus came in Matthew chapter 5 in his Sermon on the Mount, and he says, I know that you've heard it said. But I say to you, and what does he do? He begins to reframe their mind on what the purpose of the law was to get to their heart. God did not give them the law to to, to make them try to obey it perfectly so that they would be saved. He gave them the law so that they would realize that they couldn't obey it perfectly and that they were desperately in need of a savior. And so they were to try to obey the law, but to believe God by faith, that the promises he made to Abraham, he would keep, despite the fact that they, couldn't, that they could not meet the expectations that God was placing on them. And so Paul here is just trying to re- reiterate to them the one thing that Scripture has been telling them since God uh, brought them out of Egypt. That there is nothing you can do before me to make yourself pleasing in my sight, except throw yourself on my mercy and believe that my promises will be true and that I'll accept you, not because of your righteousness, but because of somebody else's. Let me, let me share this story with you and then I'm, then I'm going to get out your way. I was reading through this passage and I was thinking to myself, man, I can't stand past the <laughs> That sounds random, but I'm going to get to the point. I feel like whenever he asks me to preach up here, he always gives me difficult passages to preach. Because you read through this passage and you see where it ends in verse 20 and it's like, Okay, that's it? Like, you're just going to leave the people of God there? What if Paul would have wrote this and sent this section of Scripture like two weeks ahead of time, and then the people didn't hear nothing else? Like, what do you do with that? I'm not good enough. I'm not accepted by God. I'm, I'm, I'm so unworthy and so unholy. I'm so separated from God, and there's nothing I can do about it. Where does that leave the people of God? And then I look at verse 21, and the first two words say, what now? Now, I don't want to preach Pastor B's sermon for next week. So, so I'm just going to, I'm just, I, but I just want to draw your attention to the fact that despite all that Paul just laid out for them about how unworthy they were and how unacceptable they were and how everything that they have done, humanly speaking, distances them and, and, and places them at odds with a holy God, he, he starts off the next session, section by saying, but now, meaning that there was something different about the past than there is right now in the future, if you know Christ, but now. So let me, let, let me tell the story. There was, a, there was an old man um, by the name of Eddie Rickenbacker. Uh, he was a, a war captain. And if you would go out to the pier close to where he lived on Friday evenings, you would find him there um, always on the pier Friday, Friday evenings without fail. If you were alive in 1942, you would realize why that was the case. He was a, a former uh, sea captain, uh, and he was on a mission through the South Pacific, and his, him and his crew got lost at sea. Uh, and they got lost at sea. Their plane went down. They made it to the raft boats, and they were hundreds of miles from shore. They had no clue where they were. It's not 2019. They ain't have no GPS, ain't no black boxes. There's nobody that's going to be able to find them. So they're trying to figure out how to survive. Captain Eddie is with his crew. He's got seven other men with him, and they're battling uh, the waves. They're battling dehydration. They're battling hunger. They're battling the sharks. They're just trying to figure a way to survive, praying and hoping that a miracle would happen. One day they decide to just have devotions, and they they, they memorize some passages of Scripture. They pray together. They sing a little bit. Captain Eddie decides to take a nap. Shortly after he goes to sleep, he feels something land on his head. And he he, he recounts later on, he says, man, I knew it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew, but I knew it was a seagull. And so he wakes up and he's thinking to himself, how is this seagull 100 miles from land? And if I don't catch this seagull so we have something to eat, we're going to die. So he slowly raises his hand and he grabs the seagull by the leg. And that seagull provides them with enough food to eat, and they use the intestines from the seagull to make bait, and they begin to fish with that bait. And they would use the, fish, the, the bait, and they would catch fish, and they would bring the fish in, eat the fish, and then use the intestines from the fish to create more bait. And they did this for day after day after day until they were eventually found. And so every Friday evening, Captain Eddie would make his way to the edge of the pier, with a bucket full of shrimp in his hand. And he would toss the shrimp in the air to the seagulls. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I wish I had some help in here because y'all missed you out sound a moment. But when you remember where you come from, when you remember that you were lost and dying. When you remember that you needed a savior, when you remember and realize how far you were drifting from the shores of grace, when you remember how deep you were sinking in the waves of sin and death, when you remember everything that Jesus has done for you from where you were to where you are now, Thank you will be the least that you could do. Yeah. Father, we, we thank you and we bless your name this day. We know that the power of sin left us in a stranglehold. Unable to escape. We were, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, lost and without hope in the world. But for those of us who are in Jesus Christ, we say thanks be to God, our Savior, who has given us his son. Paul writes in Romans, later in Romans chapter 8, he says, For if God gave us his son, will he not give us all things? So God, we take this time as your people to remember. We remember how far we were from you. We remember how bound to sin we were. We remember that we were enemies of God. But we also remember that at the right time Christ died for us. That he died for those who were enemies and made them friends. So God, Sometimes the greatest thing that we can say is simply thank you. So, Lord, our prayer is that we would be a people who would live lives of gratitude. That show that we acknowledge that we would not be here today if it was not for your grace. We would not be here today if it was not for your mercy. We would not be here today if it was not for your love. So, Father, we say thank you. We say thank you. We say thank you. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.